because it's not as apparent anymore. In a postmodern world, you can have someone say, oh, this is my truth, and someone else say, well, this is my truth, and this truth can be opposite, and somehow it's all okay. How is that even possible? What if I decided my truth was to, was red means go and green means stop? And we were sitting at the same set of traffic lights. What would that do for our interaction? So this question of what is true is actually really important. And Jesus claims to be the embodiment of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he says everyone, when he says to Pilate, everyone who is on the side of truth is on my side, Pilate asks a very, very deep question. He asks, what is truth? What is truth? So, in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to go through Romans. We're going to do a survey through Romans 1 to 3. We're only doing three chapters because... Romans is dense. You know, like cheesecake? Not cheesecake, mud cake. You know mud cake? I know mud cake. I know mud cake well. <clears throat> mud cake is dense. You know what I'm talking about? You can only eat so much mud cake. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Or is there no limit for you when it comes to mud cake? I love mud cake, but, you know, when you take a bit of a slice, it's so dense that, you know, you need a little bit of cream on the side to break it up a little bit, you know, just to, just to bring down the density of how rich it is. <clears throat> and so the book of Romans is so dense that we're going to kind of take small bites, and the next couple of weeks we're going to look at one to three. It's a microcosm of what's happening in all of Romans But what it talks about is the bare-bones truth of how reality works. A Christian perspective. This is like, this is truth. You can't mess with this. This 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 is like physics, you know. What goes up must come down. You can deny that, but if you jump off the roof, you're going to die. Right? It's just, it's just the way the world works. So Paul puts out this logical argument, and he goes for 12 chapters. It's so much there. He talks about philosophy. He talks about um, the law in the Old Testament, and he brings, uh, you know, Greek philosophy into it. And he explains, he explains the gospel in a logical way. And so we're going to start looking at, at this. Now, I want to say that... Um, the start of Romans is, is a bit of a scathing perspective on humanity. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. And so, you know, but Paul needs to explain the problem before he can talk about the remedy. So that's where he starts. He's explaining humanity, how we are, how things operate, how things have operated for thousands of years. And as we go through it, you're going to see it almost seems like he's writing exactly to us today. But he didn't write this today. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. Because it's so applicable because humanity actually doesn't change. But before we go to the Word, I want to pray. Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I just ask you for your wisdom that you will flow through me. Holy Spirit, just come. Let this come across in love. Let this be articulated well. Let your people receive it in the heart that you would have it received. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, our young son, who's uh, uh, Nikolai, two years old, two, uh, soon to be three, a little while ago started, <clears throat> started doing runners. You know, we call him, and off he takes. He, he goes. He's like, let's go, no, and off he goes, right? And so we've had to deal with that really, really, um, not harshly, but we had to make sure that this, this was not a permanent feature in his life, like running away, okay? Um, <clears throat> Because Bethany was concerned. She's like, what if I'm at school, right? And my two-year-old, I say stop, and he just runs down the, the, the path at school. The end of that path is a road. 
And so we need to kind of, we needed to let him know. He doesn't understand in his mind. He's just thinking it's a game. His parents are calling him. He's running off. We're chasing him. He's having fun. We're not. Um, but, but to him, it's all fun and games. But we need to explain. We, don't, we can't really explain to him the seriousness of this, but we're concerned, right? So Paul, in this sort of mentality, he's trying to explain the seriousness of what's going on in the world. And he starts in, the, in, in chapter 16 by saying, For I am not ashamed. This is Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. You know, the fact is that a lot of our belief system is actually so beautiful and palatable and people are looking to belong. They're looking for a community that is there for them that just, just because uh, to, to help them, to love them, to care for them. God is a loving Father that gives you identity and gives you purpose. These are all beautiful truths. But then there is also part of our belief system which is not palatable in our day and age, in our culture, in our Western culture. Have you noticed? And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of any of it. Why is he not ashamed of any of it? Because it is powerful. If there's one thing we are lacking is power, isn't it? Like we all know how we need to change. We all know our weaknesses. We all even see and look around the world and we see what's wrong. But how to change it, that's the, that's the problem. Where's the power come from? Where's the motivation come from? And Paul says, for Paul, it's the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of anything. And so we're going to go through some of Paul's version, how he sees the world, how he sees truth operating. And we're going to go through it verse by verse. And I'm warning you, it gets a bit dense. Okay, so we're going to stop and we're going to look at things from, uh, from a verse-to-verse perspective. We're going to do some expository uh, preaching of the Bible. Let's go to verse 18, and it says this. Paul starts building his perspective of how reality works. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What a start. (laughs) Do you know what wrath is? It's anger. And apparently... God gets angry. Can I say that? Well, I can because it's in the Bible. All right? it, it, it's, it's there. Um, see, as Christians, I think a lot of us are, are careful that we don't mischaracterize God as an angry God. He's not an angry God. He's a loving God. All are loved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So He is a loving God. But apparently, according to the Word, He also has certain things that He's not happy with. He's angry with. And sometimes well-meaning Christians, because they care about people, and people are hurting and they want to represent God uh, in, and not misrepresent God. Sometimes we can dress God up as a cuddly little teddy bear that really is happy for you to live any way you like and is there to support your perspective. But that's not what is portrayed in Scripture. God has preferences. God has purposes. God wants certain things in his world and doesn't want certain things in his world. And he's actually angry about some stuff that's going on. And that's what's put together in Scripture. Now, let me, let me explain it this way. Just say uh, someone came into your house. Your family was in bed one night. And someone, someone dangerous came to do you harm. To do you and your family harm. You're sleeping. Maybe, maybe you live alone. But think about when you were, when you were a kid. You know, I'm guessing, you know, you weren't that independent that you moved out as a baby. So think about when you were a kid, you know, someone was in the house that is ready to do you harm. What do you want? 
You want someone there who loves you, but is strong enough to be dangerous and push against those people that are coming against you. This is God's house. I'm not just talking about this place. I'm talking about this world. Do you not think that he has something to say about people breaking his law, corrupting his creation, hurting themselves, hurting other people? If he loves, he must be angry when he sees pain and hurt and murder and theft and death. And he sees people propagating that sort of lifestyle and that sort of perspective and encouraging us. Like it's, it's part and parcel, right? Someone who is loving and kind and who can be protective and cares about us has also got to be able to be dangerous in a certain sense, if you know what I'm talking about. And so, here we are, and we're told at the very start that God likes certain things and does not like other things. Now, let me, um, when we start talking about things like this, you know, some, sometimes uh, as Christians, you know, we can, we can start to think, oh, that's them. There's people out there, and then there's us. Let me tell you a story, retell a story that Jesus told. And I know we're going through this slowly. I might not even get through the whole chapter there. That's okay. Let me tell you a story that Jesus told. There were two men, one very religious, a Pharisee, and one that was a sinner, a tax collector. And they both came to the temple. And one man the religious guy said, look at me. I'm not like that guy, that tax collector over there. Look how uh, uh, righteous I am. I give a tenth of everything, and I do everything right. I'm not a sinner like that dude. Right? And then the tax collector, who is, he stood away from the temple. He stood far away, and he couldn't even lift his eyes up to the temple. And he said, God, I'm a sinner. And he, the, the, he beat his chest and said, forgive me, forgive me. And Jesus said, that guy who, who could not even look towards heaven went away, went away more justified than the one who looked at him, looked down at him. Now, what does that tell us about Christians? Sometimes we can look at these topics and we can get all self-righteous and talk about, oh, oh, you know, God is angry at this and God is angry at that person. God is angry at those people. Um, if you're really excited that God is angry at people, there's something very wrong in here. <laughs> Honestly, the Word of God is not for them. The Word of God is for all of us, including in, it's, it's for us. It's for you and me, it, because Paul starts by saying, it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Anyone need more power? All right, then this, this what we're reading here is not for them. It's for all of us. Paul is not talking about the non-Christians. He's talking about humanity. We are all like this. So as we read this, let's not look at, say, oh, them, or them, or them, or that group, and that uh, group over there. It's all of us. This is how humanity works. And so we move on to verse 21. Oh, let's go to verse 19. Since what may have been known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Notice what he says. He goes, um, it's obvious that there is a God. It's obvious. You know, there's not a culture on earth that doesn't have the concept of God in their culture. Have you noticed that? Like you can go into any ancient culture and they have this concept of God. Even atheists will tell you that human beings are actually hardwired to believe in God. And yet they don't believe in God. They say it's, it's a product of our evolutionary perspective, and, uh, but really we're wiser now. We would just say no like Paul would say, it's absolutely blatantly obvious that there is a higher power. So if, there is, if it is so obvious, why is it that people choose to ignore God? Verse 21, it says this, For all that they knew God, so they knew Him, we're talking about humanity here. 
Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Apparently, there's a few ways of ignoring God. In verse 19, he talks about suppressing the truth. You know, I, I, especially as a young man, when you talk to people about God, um, I think they find the, Christ for, uh, the case for Christ very compelling. When you read the gospel, it's hard not to find the case for Christ compelling. It's amazing teaching. The problem that most people have is submitting themselves to the commands of Jesus Christ. That's the hard stuff. I don't want to do what he tells. I want to do what I want to do. And so a lot of the time it's just easy to suppress that. I have this interest in God. I have this quaking in my heart, but I'm not even going to go there because I want to do my thing. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? Particularly around young men and sexuality. Like, I don't want to go the biblical way. I just want to do my own thing. Young people, I should say, and sexuality. So there are different types of ignoring. Sometimes there's a suppressing, but there's also another way of ignoring it. For they, though they knew God, they neither glorified Him or gave thanks. You know, to glorify, um, let me use an example. You know when you're traveling down the road, you, you see all these little uh, reflectors on the road, right? Um, and, you know, little blue ones mean there's a fire hydrant over there and... Uh, you know, you got little red ones as the edge of the road. And, and what, what's actually happening there? None of those reflectors are actually giving off their own light. You know that, right? What is it doing? It's reflecting the light of your headlights. That's what it's doing. It's a reflection. Okay? Glory, the glory of God works the same way. God is radiating who He is. And when we reflect who He is in our lifestyle, we are reflecting His glory. Are you with me? So Paul tells us here, though people knew God, he's talking about mankind, though it's been obvious that God is real and people actually know Him just by looking at nature and understanding that there is a God and we ought to be seeking Him, even though they knew that to be true, they did not want to reflect Him. What is that? I prefer my own way. I prefer my own lifestyle. I prefer my own way of doing things. I do not want to reflect God and give Him thanks. Now, I want to say that that's a really dangerous place to be. To believe in God. You know how a lot of... Do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah. But but I'm not really religious. That's a really dangerous place to be because look, look at this. But their thinking, but in their thinking they became but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Brothers and sisters, if we come to God or if we know of the truth of God and we do not reflect his glory, we do not thank Him for who He is. You know, we may come to church. We may believe. A lot of people believe. That is a real dangerous place to be because your thinking can become dark, can become warped, can go down a place that is filled with deception. I'm talking to Christians as well. I cannot tell you how, how many times we, we see people that are, that are walking with God for maybe even decades, have really warped ideas. Apparently walking with God for decades. Because are, are you, are you, are you, do you have a true relationship? This is a challenge for every single one of us. Like I said, this is not about them and us. This is about all humanity. This is what happens to humanity. It's like a downward spiral. We do not acknowledge God. We suppress the truth. And then our, our thinking becomes futile. This is what happens to all of us on a societal level, on an empire level. This happens again and again, and we see it throughout all of history. And verse 22, they claimed to be wise. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now, there's some things that are controversial, but I'm going to try and stick to the facts. 
I'm going to try and say things in a way that is very factual. You can have your own opinion. But till recently, this is true, till recently, it was considered that men and women were identified by their sex at birth. Is that true or not? Okay, till recently. Okay, till, till maybe five, ten years ago, we kinda, that ideology was not rampant. Okay? We now have the smartest people in our society. Universities, professors, even our politicians, talking about whether that is the case. Is that not true? Fact, again. This week, in our parliament, I've heard from uh, someone trustworthy who is in, this, is in this space. There was, I believe it was a bill or some discussion around uh, some legislation as to whether we can change birth certificates, the sex on birth certificates. Again, fact, okay? This is not about, uh, we're not even just talking about gender, like, you know, gender fluidity. We're actually talking about changing M to F because it's, it's, it's like facts don't matter anymore. Um, there's this thing called the pub test. Have you heard about the pub test? Do you know what the pub test is? We refer to it sometimes every now and again at work. It's just called common sense, right? It's like you talk to the average guy in the pub. And you go, hey, dude, does this make sense to you? And I think what has happened is this verse applies to us in this day and age. Although they claim to be wise, they become fools. Why? Why did they become fools? Because they, they knew God, they never glorified God or thanked Him, and they became darkened in their mind and their thinking. And now we have devolved into not making sense or accepting fact. It is almost like Paul wrote this in 2013 or 2023, not 10 years ago. <laughs> but this is not unique to us. This is how humanity operates. This is how we work. This is how we've always worked. When we reject God, we devolve into something that doesn't quite make sense sense. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now that's talking about idolatry, but there is a very real exchange. There is a choice. We are choosing to go this way as opposed to that way. We're choosing to choose our own gods, our own perspective, and not God himself. There is a choice. Verse 24, I'm I'm getting lost here. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like a sexual revolution. God's plans for sexuality is very simple. I'm I'm not, this is, I'm not making this up. This is biblical. It's basically between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. This is an odd thing to say these days. Unacceptable, even. Um, again, look, I think this is a product of a society that has rejected God and their mindset has been darkened, and we've come so far. Like 50 years ago, that was obvious, right? And so what we're dealing with is relative morality, things that are changing and changing so quickly. But when people devolve from the truth and reject God, a sexual revolution will follow. And it's not the first time. It happens again and again. They exchange the truth about God for a lie, and they worship and serve created things rather than Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. You know, um, God won't stop you, us, humanity, 
you know, people, people have sometimes told me, they said certain things like, hey, you know, I think God's punishing me because I did this and that. Um, I don't think that's the case. For the most part, there will be a judgment day and God will judge uh, what we have done. But this side of eternity, um, I, I don't think God is looking there like an almighty smiter ready to smite you. But we do have to bear the consequences of our actions. You know what I'm talking about? It's unfortunate. <laughs> I love to eat certain things that after that I just feel bloated and, and you know, too heavy to sleep. I'm like, and I, and I regret eating them. But at the time, it's fantastic. You know what I'm talking about? We, also, we have to live in those, in those consequences, right? And God will allow that to happen to a society, to an empire, to live according to your own choices. Now listen to this, the very next line, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with their women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Well, uh, thanks for coming today. Uh, and next week, we'll cover something less touchy. <laughs> Do we need any exposition of that? Like, it's, it's a tough thing, man, to stand up here and talk about stuff like this. Um, she, she has some things. When you see the spiral and God gives you over to what you really want. And when we talk about you, we're talking about humanity. Uh, what you get is a full breakdown of the family unit. Okay? You get a full breakdown. When society doesn't accept the family as what God intended the family to be, which is mom, dad, and kids. And that is even controversial to say today, isn't it? Why is that? Could it be because we've rejected God and we've, be, and we've been so darkened in our thinking that it's even wrong to say that? And some of you are like, I can't believe you're saying this. Like 20 years ago, not even. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I, I do want to take a sidestep because here, here's the thing. Here, Christians are well known for being judgmental, hey? Christians are well known for like pointing fingers. So let's just do some internal pointing first. Let me just firstly say that, you know, same-sex attraction is a real thing. And there are people that struggle with it, just like we all struggle with different sin, including sexual attractions. We all, we all struggle with that, or we all struggle with some sin. But what we act upon is our choice. And God calls us, all of us, to act in line with His Word and obedience with His Word. Because apparently, He's not okay with, with everything. There are things that He wants His world to look like and things that He doesn't want His world to look like. The things that will hurt us and destroy us and things that will set us up for the future. And I understand that many of the things that we're saying right now is so crazy in the modern world that we live in, but that's perhaps because the modern world is degraded in such a way of thinking as opposed to us not being relevant. And so he goes on. It's, again, it's uncanny how, how, how accurate this is to where we are right now. Furthermore, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. How many people are just looking at Christian understanding of the world and trying to negate that, trying to push that aside? They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So, so, he, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy. Here's an idea. It is wrong to want someone else's stuff. That's almost considered a virtue in our world. A motivating virtue. You can have this. Murder, strife, deceit, 
is to lie, malice, to be malicious, that is to, to wish bad on other people or to be glad when something bad happens to someone who, who, who you don't like. You know, tall puppy, cut them down a little bit, bring them down a level. Apparently, God sees that as sin. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like this good feeling you get um, when, when you're lifted up and someone else is pushed down or someone else is pushed down so they're on your level. He doesn't like that. This is, this, is, this is an internal heart issue. They are gossips. Yes, that's bad. Slanderous, talking bad of people. God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. That is another thing that, um, that, is, that is almost considered a virtue in our culture. There's a lot of online personalities that young men and men in general look up to that are really um, popular because they're arrogant and they're boastful. Guys, Men especially, when you find this, and, and it is attractive because, you know, we all like the, the idea of the alpha male, right? This is not how God had created people to be. That is not someone to look up to. When they are arrogant and boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding. Oh, I just skipped over that one. Let me go back there. They disobey their parents. That's a good one. All the parents said amen to that. So let me just, they disobey their parents. That, that, that reiterates the, the breakdown of the family. Yes, and I'm just waiting for it till this goes out of fashion. Um, yes, kids should obey their parents. Right? We need to teach them moral character. It is necessary for them to have boundaries. Also, Sometimes, in some circles, controversial. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they, don't, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's chapter one. I hope you're encouraged. <laughs> Who's happy about this? <laughs> Remember, this is for you. <laughs> not for them you for me especially more than you this is for us because we want power in un and we want to understand the gospel we got to understand what we are saved from all right so i want to i want to summarize three three main points that we covered this morning and hopefully build some structure around this before we go to a, a, a brighter side of things next week and the week after okay uh firstly this, what we read here, is the common lot of all humanity, and it has been for all time. The fact that this was written 2,000 years ago and is still relevant shows that humanity has not really changed. The brokenness and the symptoms of our humanity to turn away from God, to do our own thing, and to devolve as a culture into a depraved mind and to start thinking depra uh, depravely and then to extend that into sexual immorality is not uncommon. All you need to do is look at history. Go pick up a book about Roman history and look how they at how they treated each other and what were the sexual practices of the day. You're going to get a, a, a rude shock. You're going to get a rude shock when you look at history and how people treated other people, especially conquerors treated the conquered. This is the common lot of all humanity. It's not just them and us. But without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we would devolve into that. We will spiral out of control because that's who human beings are. We are naturally lean towards what the Bible would call sinfulness. This is not good news, but this is normal. People are like, oh, it's getting really bad today. It's, oh, it's, you know, things are really bad. That's because you haven't looked at history. Things are not that bad. Or they could get a whole lot worse. And they have been. Number two. Sin is unrecognizable if it wasn't for revelation. Um, there are some people who would say what I'm speaking today, even some Christians would say that this is a normal, positive, what we're experiencing now is a, uh, is a normal, positive progression of society. Right? People are becoming more free. 
people are being more liberated. There's more options. This is a sign of a free society. This is not the Christian perspective. The Christian perspective is that many of these things are sin that is destroying people. That we are devolving into a depraved mind. We're spiraling out of control. And to understand sin as, as God defines it, we go back to the Bible. And guys, this is not popular. Right now, and it's not going to be popular in the future, saying things like this. So you've got to make up in your mind and go, what is the truth? What is truth? Okay, and you've got to go, okay, as I look at the Bible, what does the Bible tell me? What do I believe? Because there are a lot of people pulling us in very different directions, even people within the church. And you've got to decide, and then you've got to be okay with being on the wrong side of what everyone else thinks. You've just got to be okay with that. There's no other nicer way to put it. As we, you either see that this is a good thing that's happening to our society, or we say, no, this is negative, this is not right, this is not where God wants it, this is not progressive, this is progressing towards sin. There's, there's, I, I, when I look at Romans, please come and talk to me if you see it differently. Maybe you can teach me something that I don't know. But when I look at this and what Paul is saying, like if we choose to believe this book, then you kind of need to believe it. Like, it's, it's not my preference. Like, it, it, like I, you know, I wish, I wish Paul had said something different. Actually, I don't. I'm fine with it. But, um, you know, I, I don't enjoy telling people things that, that, that they don't want to hear. I want to be everyone's friend. I'd like to be liked. But if it's true and it's going to save them, and it's the power of salvation to transform their lives and to bring them from death to life, to give them, to take a depraved mind and to open the eyes, if, it, if they can pull them from hurt and pain and brokenness because they're looking for love and, and sexuality in all the wrong places and bring them into life and steadfastness in God, then maybe, maybe I shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power to save. Maybe. Maybe we should be a little bit more like Paul. And the third and final point, when we understand the state of humanity, we can finally start to see the power of the gospel. I have to skip over to chapter 3 because we can't end on it. I end on chapter 1 is depressing. <laughs> we have to go to chapter 3 and look at it. And so when, when we understand the true state of humanity, we can now see the power of the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Listen to this. For all have sinned. Not them. All. Guys, who do you want to be? That religious man that looks at everyone else and goes, Oh, I'm not like them. Or would you rather be that sinner that beats his chest, that is justified before God because his heart is repented? That's the purpose of, of preaching about sin is that not so we can point to someone else and go, oh, look what they did. It's so that we could see ourselves, our, our heart can be un uncovered and then we could come to God in repentance. We're not to feel condemned. Paul also talks about this later on. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling like, oh man, I don't belong in this, I, I feel terrible, I've done this, that's, that's, that's not God. That's not God. God is calling you towards repentance. God is calling you towards relationship. God is calling you towards a steadfast place, moving, removing things that are wrong into a place of truth. So we are steadfast. We are built our life upon the rock. Are you with me? And it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, there's one thing to sin. It's, very, it's much another thing to not reflect God as He truly is. We've fallen short. Not only that we sin. Okay, we sin. But we've fallen short of being the full representation of God. It's like a picture of me. That someone goes and draws a mustache on and draws the beard, you know, and, and, and defaces. We're kind of not, it's not the full representation of me. We're not the full representation of God and the gospel is the power to break the power of sin, to open eyes, 
to enlighten depraved minds, to pull culture out of a death, death spiral, to bring sexuality, sexual purity back into his own church, to define what is right and wrong, to turn people's hearts toward himself, to pour out his love because his wrath has already been satisfied through the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the gospel. That's where the power is. The power to bring change. And that's what I see all through this book. If you see something else, come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. Let's talk about it. There are other views out there, and you'll probably come across them. And that's why, you know, we do things like dig deeper, because we want to, like, there's no question off, off limits here. Like, we want to we wanna serve our, our um our gay community. We want to serve people that have different perspectives to us. We want, we want to love them. We want to care, we want to care for them. Anyone that, that whatever's going on in, in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, we, we want this to be a safe place. But we won't change what the Bible says is the truth. So we, you know, we can make people smile or feel better about themselves even though we want them to feel accepted and loved, because it's the power. That's where the power is. It's the power of the gospel. I hope I'm articulating this. Maybe I'm not, but my heart is never to exclude any particular person. But at the same time, the heart is to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, because there's so many things in this world that is just wrecking people. It's tearing them apart. And when you look at some of the statistics as to, you know, the suicide, anxiety, and, and everything that's going on, um, it's, 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 off, it's off the charts, literally. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. So many things have been said, and so much of it can be taken as... and used as self-righteousness. We can celebrate. Christians have been known to celebrate it at the judgment of people and when, when really we ought to be those people that, that mourn for people who are hurting. Mourn for those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And God, let's not be a people, Father, that see ourselves as them and us or like that righteous person completely missed the point. But let us be people that would love all those around us, yet stay firm on the truth. As revealed in Scripture, as revealed by your Son, as revealed by those who you've put in place as apostles. Aaron, can I get you in the keys, mate? That would be awesome. I want to give us a moment just to perhaps respond to some of the content that has been said today. And I don't think I've pulled any punches, but at the same time, I, I, I just want to be so careful that this not be just a a slap each other on the back and go, yeah, we're in the club. That, that, that is a self-righteous righteous attitude that gets no fruit. I, I want to be fruitful. I want to be changed. I want to see sin for what it really is in my life. I want to repent of it. And then when I identify sin in the world. I don't want to be I don't want to be the judge of it per se. God judges sin. I want to I want to be able to bring truth. I want to be able to bring clarity. I want to lovingly be able to realign people and bring people into the kingdom of God. I just I just don't want to be a uh, a spokesman for what is wrong. That's not that's not the purpose of truth. The purpose of truth is that people would experience the power of God through the gospel. 
Is that your heart when you hear something like this? Does your heart break for, you know, the single mom across the road who's, who's been cheated on by her husband? Does your heart break for the girl who's been abused? Does your heart break for that guy who's, who's, who's a drug addict? who started taking drugs to overcome the pain in his own heart and in his life and how he grew up in a broken family? Does your heart break for the fear in our community that that is seen by, by crime from people who are desperate? The problem in our world is just so complicated. And they don't need another self-righteous person saying, at least I'm not like them. Because this is the common plight of all humanity, including us, if it wasn't for the grace of God. Thank you, God. Let us glorify you. Let us thank you for all the goodness that you have poured upon us, all the goodness you have poured into our lives. Let us live a life that reflects you. And perhaps, Father, you could use that in this world to bring stability. You can use that as salt. You can use that as light. In a corrupt generation, you could use these kernels of truth to bring much fruit. I just want to give us a moment and let God speak to you. Maybe there's someone here for the first time that has recognized the gospel. You've heard so many different things about God loves you. God um, has a plan for your life, and that's all true. But for the first time, you've realized that you're a sinner, all of us, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And you're welcomed back into the family of God through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And you're like, yes, I, 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 I've seen that. I, I know that to be true. Like none of us, none of us, none of us. We're all, the, the point of Jesus' story is like, we're all like that tax collector. We're all sinners. We come to God in repentance. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you made a decision at some point in your life. And you're like, no, I, I, I've been called. I've been called today. Maybe you're like that person that that didn't glorify God or thank Him. Maybe you go to church and you do what you need to do, but in your heart, you don't walk with God. And slowly the ideology of this world is becoming more and more forefront, more and more important, more and more true. And this is a slippery slope. And you're saying, yes, I, I, I sense the conviction of God upon my heart. That's you. God is calling you back. 
I often like to identify those people making a first-time decision for Jesus or making a recommitment. If that's you, you're saying, yeah, I, I want to I take a step towards God. I'm going to ask you to do one thing just while every head is bowed, every eye closed, just to raise your hand so I can identify you and we will pray after church together. That's you. Just put your hand up right now. Do it now. If you've noticed this slide of thinking, of ideology, and you know God is pulling you back, pulling you back into His Word, into biblical belief, into biblical thinking, into truth, I want to, encourage, I want to pray for you. If that's you, you know who you are. Can I encourage you to make a decision to say, God, I'm not just, I'm not just gonna be, I'm not just not, not gonna be here and do the right thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna glorify you. I'm gonna reflect you in my lifestyle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor you with truth. I'm gonna live in truth. I'm gonna grow in truth. I'm not gonna, I'm not talking about sinless perfection here. That's impossible. I'm talking about a desire to be more like Jesus. If that's you, you know in your heart who you are. I'm just going to pray. Why don't you just lean in, agree. Father, I just pray for each and every one of us. God, that we would truly grow towards holiness. That you would change our mind from deception into truth. If there's anything that was untrue that was said this morning, God said it right. Let us grow in love. Let us grow in love for people, Lord. Bring change and realignment into our life, we pray. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Guys, thanks for sitting with me through what is a heavy, heavy topic, but necessary to discuss. We're going to continue with chapter 2 next week and chapter 3. They are a little bit lighter. Thank goodness. <laughs> but it's good to, good to go through all of it. Amen? Amen. I hope you are encouraged as we go on a journey for truth. Be blessed. Have a great week. Come hang out with uh, us tonight.